And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jay Wall, RB, serial killer, making an appearance. And Uncle Gene, back again. Boys, it's always good to see you. I, you know, RB, of all the people that I'm jealous of on this on this podcast this week, it's got to be you. You know, typically, I've gotten used to being a creature of habit over the years, going back to my days covering gear for the PGA Tour. And I almost always started the year off in Palm Springs. It is one of my favorite stops. I love the weather, love the vibe. Got a couple of of spots that I go to eat out there. Shout out Armando's. Very good place to grab some some Mexican food. So it, it is it is a good spot. But I decided to give it up to you this year. I, I felt I felt some I felt benevolent. I, I'm just I'm just being a nice guy. And here you are, you're out in Palm Springs getting to soak up the rays. It's probably better than, than, uh, back home in Canada. What's been going on out there? Well, uh, I don't mean to rub it in. Uh, my poor <laughs> wife is at home and it, there's a, there's a snow warning again for 15 to 20 centimeters of snow well, potentially up to at least a foot again, uh, which is, it's just very on brand for me leaving to go somewhere nice and sunny. Um, but no, it's been great. Other than like, you know, cold weather in Toronto basically nearly made me miss all of my flights, um, which I shared on my Instagram story. Uh, but we're, we're here. We're here. Um, it almost turned around in Salt Lake City. It was that. It was Hashtag that. Hashtag be here. Yeah. RB and I texted desperate. last night. RB texted me. And From 30,000 feet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what, man. What I think it you was, should do. Yeah. It was It was, it was, it was a desperate situation. I brought my wife in to, to try and uh, get her get her take on what what RB should do, and thankfully the travel gods were were uh, smiling in his favor. So you made it there, and you get to spend some time. We'll get into to what you've seen, but it is it is good to see you in California, serial killer. How was how was Orlando, man? It's good to see you back. Well, you know I'm never going to complain about going down and hanging out with Mickey Mouse and doing the Disney thing and going to Universal and just spending obscene amounts of money that I don't have on uh, trivial things like Disney World and amusement parks and knickknacks that are already overflowing in my house. So no complaints. Had a good time. Quality time with the family and the wife and uh, happy to be back amongst the uh, amongst the routine of gear and product launch season and testing and working with tour players and getting them all situated for the start of their season and having a good old time. We've kind of gotten through the, the initial wave of, of launches last week. It felt like everybody, all the major players announced major releases. Is there anything out there this week that excites you? Week two. I, I'm just, I don't know. I'm going through it. It, it. it is a little bit of a mixed bag. Is there is there any product out there? I don't want to go like too deep on anything, but just I'm curious. Anything catch your eye? So me or RB? Yeah, I'm you. RB. I Both think you got to go first, Chris. I always chime in first. I want to be the guy who responds. <laughs> well, I mean, with you being out on tour, you get a little different perspective. I mean, I'm working with for for us in the the gear world, right? We've been. We've been testing and tinkering and experimenting and categorizing since mid to late October. So we've had product in our hands for for a few months now and are getting comfortable with it and kind of figuring out the demographics of players that 
align with different products and so on and so forth. So, I mean, for me, the more and more that I test personally and now having an opportunity to show these different products to people and seeing different player types and speeds and delivery angles and things like that, testing it, it's, uh, I mean, it's just a constant learning curve for me, seeing how they differentiate from the current product and what the companies have done to improve on weak areas from current and previous generations. So, I mean, as far as a, a singular product that's jumping out, I mean, I, I would say that the family of QI10 products from TaylorMade has really shown me something different from what I've seen in Stealth and Stealth 2. I mean, the amount of separation between each head is basically a home run for us in a fitting environment because now we have three different heads that are really, really different and have a good amount of separation in forgiveness and launch and ball speed and spin and really gives us an opportunity to, to have a lot of tools at our disposal. And I would argue that in the Stealth family, there was a little bit of overlap between some of the heads. And I'm just not seeing that at all in the QI10 product. And that max goes straight. And the more players that I put it that's, in their that's hands. Her 10K. That's her 10K version, right? The max. I mean, yeah. man, I'm I'm not even kidding. I was last week I was working the the TaylorMade launch event out at DC Ranch here in North Scottsdale. And it was all the staff pros that are on TaylorMade staff. So these are some accomplished players. Mm-hmm and some big movers and shakers in the Southwest section that play competitive golf and also play golf at a high level. So I've got club pros, I've got mini tour players, I've got PGA professionals, and the amount of QI10 core product and the amount of max product that I fit these players into was, I mean, a pretty even mix, to be honest with you. The high launch, high spin guys that want to see that auto fade like we had in Sim. I mean, I'm seeing a lot more of that being represented in the LS, but that core driver is a monster. And the separation between max core and LS is is enough to really give you a lot of tools at your disposal in a fitting environment. So I guess circling back in a very long winded answer, QI10. products that I'm, yeah, products that I'm I'm excited to work with this year. I mean Paradigm was great. AI Smoke is an improvement on that, but I would say like category for most improved that I'm expecting to see kind of really turn some heads is is that QI10 family for sure. Can I tell you what's kind of cool about this since you're talking the separation with the the QI10 models? We now have 3 QI10 models out on the PGA Tour. You have Colin Morikawa using the Max. You have Rory last week switching from the LS to the core to the core model. And then you have Tommy Fleetwood winning in Dubai with the LS. I love this. I love the fact that you have all the models represented because like it doesn't it doesn't matter what happens. There's always one that everybody is like, oh man, that's the hacker model. Nobody on tour uses that. And so it gets this stigma around it where nobody wants to use it. And I'm like, it's a, it's a good driver. It's a really yep. good driver. You should try it. Nah, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just going to go. I'm going to go with this one. I saw, 
I saw, you know, fill in the blank player using it last week in, in the, in the field at whatever event it was. Oh my God. It's, it's, so I just, I love the fact that there, because of that separation, you have all the different models represented. And oh, by the I'm, way, Tommy Fleetwood won one last week with LS. We'll get into that. Arby, what, what, what do you got? I was going to say like, you know how, um, you know, like the, the, the Emmy, like TV has the Emmys and like the movies has the golden globes and the Oscars and all that stuff. We need, that's what we need. We need the golfies. That's a bad name. I know we're going to workshop this. We're gonna this workshop feels like this. something that the office would come up with. Yeah, I know. Like, or like what, whatever. We got to we got to get G. We got to rope Gene into this. You got to call it the the Robies for like the robots. You got to you got to like. There's got to be something where it's like this Gene's is the most. Smiling, he might like your idea. This is the highest launching because we know Gene's got all that info. I'm looking at him right, and and the, and and to Chris's point, like I think when we think about like a like the Venn diagram, you know, like you see the the office meme and it's like Pam and it's like the two pictures. Like, well, these are the same thing, right? Like the Venn diagram of drivers this year is like this giant scatter plot of like all kinds of like crazy stuff. And I think what makes it really interesting. And I think, I mean, I, I still underappreciate it and I get people asking all the time, like, can I get something like fit for this year and buy used last year? Of course you can. And you know what, to be fair, like a lot of stuff is going to general generalize, fit into like different like certain categories if you buy the ls driver you'll, you'll probably fit into last year's ls driver within a certain parameter but there is this like education that comes with like fitters and the amount of information that they have to process to be to be able to take that in and then apply it to like an individual golfer at different club head speeds and different attack angles and like all kinds of impact parameters makes it like again to chris's point like the learning curve is extremely steep but this is also where the high level fitters and also having robot data we can look at that and say we know exactly how these drivers are going to perform under these circumstances like x circumstances from the robot how do we extrapolate that data for higher swing speed players for players that hit up on it for players that come across it i think that is the most fascinating part of every time we see new product it goes i don't want to say it goes underappreciated but it it doesn't get the discussion that it really deserves of how how much time it takes to go from that point of this is what we have this is where we were this is what we understood about the previous product this is what the new stuff does and this is how we can apply it to golfers because we I want to say that we do condense it in this, like, you know, this 45 minute to an hour discussion once a week, but it takes a lot of freaking time to get to this point. And I don't think a lot of people appreciate how much time that takes because the end result is I hit this better, but to get to the, I hit this better part is a lot of education that goes in from, from the engineering point to the, the robot testing to player testing to the end result of, wow, I hit this thing better. And that process is something we really don't discuss that much. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting this, this week and last week have kind of shown some things that to be honest, have surprised me because, uh, you know, uh, when I look at data, I'm just looking at data. I'm not looking at the way a club sets up the way it looks. I'm just looking at data and I'm looking at performance data. So I was really geeked out 
you know, and talking about the year of the driver and the potential of all these drivers and how better players can really, you know, utilize some of these max products and some of the core products. And in talking to people, not present company excluded, you know, I kind of got some pushback and they were like, oh, well, you know, tour players care about face progression and they care about, you know, setup and blah, 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 blah. And they won't play, uh, you know, game improvement. Well, lo and behold, I mean, TaylorMade's a classic example. You've got Colin Marikawa in the Max. You've got Rory in the in the standard product. The point being, the, the way to think of these products is, obviously, nobody's going to be playing the draw product, but um, the way to think of these products now is it, it's not even lumping into categories. It's kind of like, do you want distance? Do you want forgiveness? And what's so amazing about this year's lineup, which we'll get into in later pods, is we're seeing a combination thereof of both distance and forgiveness and high launch and low spin, which is amazing. But these categories are kind of becoming uh, almost unnecessary or not relevant because that's an interesting. That's an and interesting the proof- point there, Gene. But continue. But that's yeah, the proof is, is it, well. The proof is in the tour players, right? Because tour players are ultimately they are more concerned than anything else about performance. And if they can get fit, and Chris was just talking about that, um, if you know if it says max on it, but they smoke it, and when they miss it, half an inch toe and heel, it goes the same distance. They don't care. Whereas before max used to equal higher spin and it used to equal you know a little bit of a draw bias now it's it, it, it's a whole different ball game so i think, you think we could see, see you think we could see i mean this is more a question for chris but do you think we could see the removal of of categories with the way that some of these drivers are performing or do you think there's always going to be a place for categories I mean, to be completely transparent, I, I try not to, especially in the drivers, irons, I'll categorize a little bit, but when it comes to drivers and fairway woods, like in a fitting environment, unless there is a player request for something that is just not even remotely close to the, uh, the skill level that they currently possess at the time of their fitting, I won't necessarily categorize a driver. So I mean, I have prime example to Gene's point. I was working with a, a tour player last week and we were testing new product and he's a brand agnostic player, doesn't have a contract with anyone. And we're testing all of the product, testing all of the product. And last year I had him in a, a paradigm triple diamond with a, a static loft of 11.25. This year he's playing the AI smoke max at 10 and a half. And he picked up two miles an hour of ball speed and he cut uh, almost 300 RPMs a spin, but maintained the same vertical launch. So the oh, window yeah. stayed Jeez. the same. <laughs> Where do I sign up for that driver? Up, right. I, I have, no. uh, that's, that's, that's going to be, that's going to be discussed in a future one. I've, I've got <clears> test <throat> data to back up exactly what you Chris, saw. Chris, um, hundred percent. I know you won't name the tour player. But when this person cuts spin, they still haven't cut their hair in a while, right? Uh, he has not. Okay. He has not. I was going to mention the name, but I'm like, nope. Not gonna, not gonna I, I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If, if anyone's out there and they're looking at players on the PGA Tour that might be have like a longer style hair that might be brand agnostic, <laughs> you know, you might be able to narrow it down. 
I was out here earlier today. I think I know who it was. Uh, but you know what? I'll let I'll leave that up to the listeners to to figure. Just, out. just they'll tell them what's up tomorrow, RB. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say That's hi. If I see, if I see this person, I will. I might say hi. Yeah, I. It's interesting to hear these stories because sometimes when you you being, I should say, sometimes when I talk to the tour reps about some of these early season changes, some of the numbers that they give me just seem a little bit. Like really, is is this is this just for is this just because it's, I'm gonna I'm gonna use it and it's gonna go go in print? There's no way that the, uh, and now, uh, and a lot of it I I give a lot of credit to Gene because the robotic data has certainly opened my eyes to like these these numbers that they're giving me are legitimate. It's not just it's not just you know shock value. And I, I used like Tommy Fleetwood as an example. Um, like last season, Tommy Fleetwood averaged. 283 yards off the two uh off the tee on on the pga tour and he, i don't think he's ranked higher than 56th on the on the tour in driving distance the past three years and it look it's last week was was one week it is a it is a single snapshot you can call what it is maybe he doesn't continue to do that for the rest of the season i will be tracking his numbers very closely because he averaged 313 yards in dubai I mean, it's a thirty-yard. That's a thirty-yard difference. Now, <laughs> I, I think people are probably wondering, like, what, like, what the hell it, was it? Was it? Was he downwind every time? Like, what's going on? And the numbers are 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 very compelling. The numbers that he saw, the improvements he saw with his driver, and and it's something that we talked about here recently. So, Adrian Reedfelt, love Adrian. He is a senior tour rep for TaylorMade and is. I would say he's like Tommy Fleetwood's go-to guy when it comes to his gear out on tour. And Adrian said that Tommy normally is around 31 to 3,200 spin on his misses. And he was able to get that spin down to around 2,700 on, on the miss hits now. And he's uh, since also gone from about 10 and a half to 11 degrees of launch at 2,600 on the, the good, on the ones that he's flushing. He's now at 12 in 2400 high launch low spin smaller as you can see on the misses smaller spin deltas we've been talking about that recently smaller spin deltas can translate to more distance tommy fleetwood's bombing it right now i i, I mean it it feels like a lot of these manufacturers it's kind of cool i like the fact that a lot of them are touting they're not touting distance in the way that we're used to seeing distance being touted in the past, which is looking strictly at the center numbers and being like, we're, you know, you're going to see a 10 yard improvement. Like that's not possible. Center face improvement is, is not going to improve that much that you're going to see the biggest improvements on those off center misses. And a big reason for that is if you can tighten up those spin deltas and make the spin rates pretty similar to the ones when you do flush it, like Tommy Fleetwood's now seeing, that's going to translate to real meaningful distance. And that's what Tommy Fleetwood's seeing. That's what all the manufacturers are touting. That's what a lot of them that were able to vet through the robot data, that's what we're now seeing is tighter spin deltas. Yeah, you know, I don't like to I don't like to say Gene was right, but Gene Gene was right in this case. It is the year of the driver. Hey, he's already getting it is the, year of the, driver. the the voice or reason. I know. And I'm I not, hate this. I hate that I even any further like I get to this eat point. The crow, I, <laughs> eat the crow. <laughs> Screw you, man. Eat it. 
I'll give you some ketchup to eat it with. It's the year of the driver, man. That it's just so cool to see. I wasn't lying. This is this is this is a special. It's a special year for for the big stick. But to see that kind of see that kind of improvement from one guy, those that's a that's a guy whose gear is supposed to be optimized. To see those kind of improvements. What, what, what was what was the loft on his driver that he won with in Dubai? Uh, nine. nine. nine okay. Nine so just a little tease on that. Interestingly enough, that was one, two, three, four, five. The fifth lowest spinning driver out of the entire bunch. So once again, yes, that thing was a rocket ship. Yeah. hands down but it's no not just it's not just like you're you're on this like razor's edge it feels like that you that you used to be with high launch low spin like the numbers now are mm-hmm. getting a lot more consistent on those misses i'm seeing chris nod his head because he's he's seeing that from the from the pros he's working with from like this this is this is legitimate not it's not it's not, it's not magic beans like i've always called it in the past like this is the when they say that it's a better driver it's a better driver we're seeing it we're seeing it in the numbers we're seeing it from the from the reps we're talking to chris is seeing it it's it is for real well what Maybe. what i'm really curious about to jump ahead to like october of 2024 you know if if this trend holds and these drivers do perform and all of these athletes adapt and adopt um, and we see like a four or five yard increase on the PGA tour <laughs> because they're all smoking. It's like, watch the USGA's head just go. I think, you know, I think I all mean, the conversations about, about driver testing and, and everything else that they sort of like shoehorned into this, like what else are what else are they looking at in addition to the golf ball? Mm, oh, I think, I think, I, I think you could, could expedite the, uh, the timeline that yeah. they have for that. For sure, could be could be really really interesting to see how they react to that. I mean, once again, it's early. There's a lot of players that you know. I mean, uh, all three of you guys know because you have intimate knowledge, and I don't. But you know, it's it seems like there's kind of two camps of players: those that are always looking, and those once they get something, they don't want to switch. So you're going to have a lot of players resistant to change just because they don't want to tinker with something that's not broken. But those that are looking, um, they're going to, they're going to find a, a, a wealth of riches in, you know, the options this year, without a doubt. I think this is, then, I, I mean, think this is the year that about, go, go ahead, Chris. Cause I, I got one more point on that and then we'll, we'll, we'll head to the next topic. And I was just going back to, to Fleetwood and again, like, running up the the flag for TaylorMade in that QI10 when we were doing our our product review video uh, for TrueSpec and we had the QI10 product in the bay i mean we we do human testing obviously when we're doing our <coughs> review videos and Blake Smith our our human robot at uh, at the Scottsdale studio i had him hitting it intentionally low heel and the QI-10 wasn't showing us uh, spin numbers higher than 3,000. And I mean, we're talking 22 to 25 millimeters at, out towards the heel, 15 to 16 millimeters low, which in the stealth product, that is just a death sentence. And looking at that same strike location in the QI-10 product and seeing it hold 
from that strike location under 3,000 and not seeing the ball gear was really, really impressive. I had, and that's I, why I see that somebody like Roars going in the core head. I mean, it's longer. just so stable. He went to a longer yeah. shaft. I didn't even mention that. He went from 44 back to back to 45. And the reason was it's just it's just a more forgiving head. He's seeing a lot more forgiveness on that on that core product, which allows him to go back to the longer shaft and and you know start trying to bomb it. And so I think you're gonna see some guys get to do that too. I, I will say this. There is all there are always going to be those holdouts, those guys that still play older model drivers just because they they know them, they're familiar, it's what works. I think this I think this year's crop is going to be the crop that starts bumping some of those old drivers. All like whatever existing old product that you see out on tour, I think it's gone after this year. I think there's going to be th- there's going to be something in that crop of drivers that's going to beat the old gamer. There will always be holdouts. The crazy folks, but yes, <laughs> there will always be. There's going to be in general. Some. In general, I agree. I I do very wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right. So I want RB to to offer up some insights. He's he's the man out on tour this week. You've seen some stuff. You've talked to some people. Vokey's official launches this week in Palm Springs. What's what's catching your eye out on the golf course, RB? I got the notebook out. All right. Um, so yeah, vo- like it's a big, it's a big Vokey week right now. Uh, I feel like Titleist has a hundred people out here. Um, they probably, but, do. I, but that's, that's part of the reason why. And people, people kind of like, Oh, well, you know, like, Oh, everyone, you know, they just, they just cater to her players and all this stuff. Right. But like they, they do put f- focus on helping them find the right equipment. And I think if you go to a Titleist fitter, they do the same thing. Like this is a down the pyramid scale of like, not if, not if you go to like, no offense, not if you go to like just a true, like a true spec, but if you want Vogue Wedge and you go to Titleist Fitter, you're going to get a very similar experience. And they focus on this so much and they talk so much about this. Um, and so, so Bob was here, got a chance to talk to Bob for like 15, 20 minutes. Uh, we mostly reminisced about Canada and the, the terrible weather. That's how cold it is right now. Um, how much he misses it. And, right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but to be able to talk to him and talk to the team, Aaron and Shane, uh, and just like this, seeing them work with players, like honestly, Aaron runs around like an absolute insane man every week, all the time. He's out here doing these things because it is the is, golf is club that people are replacing all the time. But on a week, on a week like this week, when like everyone's getting their new wedges, it's ins- like he, I think he had lunch at like, I don't know, two thirty, three o'clock. Pandemonium. Like, he's just, he's just trying to like get, I'm like, have you eaten yet today? Like you just seem like you're running around everywhere. Um, but as, as far as the, their team is concerned, like they do really like they're stressing fitting, they're stressing, like, this is what you have now. This is what we've, we've fit you into. And here's like an extra one to try because of like what we've done to like certain products, which is very cool. Um, it's also the first week that, the, the new Scotty Camerons are out, which I think is a big one. The the big conversation, and this is it's and this plays into so if you go to a website, you can read our piece on the new Adele putters as well that have like the alignment like plates on the top so you can like pick different things and stuff like that. But uh, the amount of 
ways players focus on the top line is such a fascinating conversation. So I got to like sit in the cart because the look, they build a lot of houses around Palm Desert. So the golf, the the tour vans are a little further away than they used to be. So we get in the golf cart, we're driving back to where like they were. And I was sitting with one of the putter reps and I was like, you know, it's, I find it shocking that like players don't know like how they aim. And, and he goes, dude, tour players don't know how they aim. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, are you serious? And he's like, they have their coaches. They just dial themselves in. Like it is like this, this intangible of aim and the alignment system on the Scotty camera putters is like something that's really helping them get dialed in. And not only that, but the sound and feel, and hopefully we're going to have a video because we talked to Austin Rollins about this, who helped. He's a bit, he's a big mallet developer, been in the golf industry for a very long time. Look, I'm not going to BS and like, you know, hide behind a curtain. He worked for Odyssey for a very long time, developed a lot of putters, decided to do his own thing. And then this, the Titleist team decided like, Hey, this guy knows a lot of stuff about mallets. Let's bring him over. And so he helped with a lot of the design elements of the, the, the phantom series. And we got, we should hopefully have a video on this at some point, but the way players align is this like very fascinating thing. Cause everyone uses different, the geometry of the putter head, the, the top line center line, like all the things on the top. It is, it is this very, very interesting conversation. And a lot of the players are enjoying the new, uh, the new geometry of the heads. Although they look very similar, there are tweaks. And just like with driver heads, fitting is a big element of this, and helping players align better is always going to help them make more putts. So that is something that a lot of players are really enjoying as well. Um, speaking of new stuff and old stuff, the Ping Van was building a, a brand new answer hybrid for Mister Kucher. So let me tell you, they dug something out of the vault for, for him because his old one was extremely worn out. Um, I I said, is that, that? There, there's only one player who's still using that hybrid. I was like, is that an answer? I walked in the van today and I was like, dude, is, I, I'm not going to say names. But I'm like, is that an answer? Is that an answer like hybrid? And he's like, yep. I said, I built those a decade ago. And he's like, he won't switch. And I'm like, that's cool. Like, I get it. Like, you know, his one is like getting to the point where it's like just completely beat up. Um, let's see what else we got here. I know we can't, um, I will post pictures of this. So if, if you haven't seen already at some point, check out social, uh, Mizuno doesn't have a new driver, but they have a new color, which I think is very cool. So I will, I will share that. I, you guys haven't even seen this yet. Um, I, I walked up to Jeff cook, uh, cause I congratulated them because, uh, Grace Murray won last week. So was, Hey guys, good, great week last week, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, so first, first, uh, Mizuno driver win actually for since Keith Mitchell won a while ago now. Uh, so that was cool. That's like a little thing. Um, but I was like, what the hell is that? And Jeff, they're like, yeah, you can take pictures of it. So I did. So you'll see it. Uh, it's, it's a new color. It's very different, but it's also a little retro. So there's all kinds of stuff going on. Um, but you'll see that in a little bit, but to speaking to Gene's point about drivers. Um, so Brad Schweiger was here from PXG. They had, they must've had six people out on the range today with their black ops. And who? Eric, uh, Eric Cole was one of them working with some fairy woods. And then one of the oh, other players, right. um, he was out there. And so Eric's loving the driver, but they're trying, they're trying to like, they're I was working. Say, with I thought Eric Cole was good. Woods. Why did they, why did they bring six people to Palm Springs? No, they always, because they, they want feedback. They're, they're getting feedback. I was talking to, talking to Brad. And uh, the interesting thing is we, we know, or at least I've experienced how, and I've talked about how low spin the, the tour one head is. But this is that interesting conversation. I think, like Chris, I'd like to hear your point of this. Is like, as a player like myself who misses around the face, plays a cut, 
the the draw not the not the draw the the tour head the low the super low spin head from any model is generally going to fit me better but tour players they hit up on it already they hit it in the right part of the club face which i do not all the time so they oftentimes i ask brian like is eric in the the tour or the standard one he goes no he's actually in the, he's in, he's just in the standard one because he delivers it so freaking well hits it off the middle of the club face that he creates low spin dynamics that if you were to give him the like the tour head or the tour one head, which is the model, he's like, he doesn't spin enough. And if he happens to miss hit it a little bit, it falls out of the sky. And this is where I've had a lot of conversation with golfers through like Instagram and people asking me questions about how much, where should my spin be? And like, Oh, I, you know, I hit like a, I hit a, someone said they, they hit a fade at like 2000 RPM. And I'm like, that's not good. Like it seems good on paper, but that is not good. Because if you miss hit, trying good to you know, luck, you come, good luck keeping that. Only Gene's robot can do that consistently. You're you're swinging up. Let's say you're swinging <laughs> up and across, uh, right to left. So out to in. Uh, so you're hitting this like fade, and you catch it a little toey. That two twenty one hundred, that two thousand RPM spin immediately drops to fifteen hundred, and you're like, why the hell did my golf ball carry one hundred seventy five yards? What's the yards? meme with the guy? You are not that guy. You are not. That you are, guy. yeah. It's just like it doesn't happen. So you are not that guy, that pal. Is, that is exactly going back to Chris's point about the max. And I had this conversation with um, like through text and whatever uh, drew Cooper. I mentioned it before uh, very high swing speed player. He was out at TaylorMade uh, last week going through, he, he was testing drivers with those guys. And I think they like testing with drew because drew swings the freaking hell out of the golf club. Um, and I said, what, what driver worked best for you? And he goes, the LS launches rockets. But to be fair, that, that max, opened up to a lower loft for me and he's swinging north of 125 miles an hour. He goes, this thing is a rocket. And I think that is where to your point and Jonathan, you made a great point uh, earlier. The idea that categorizing drivers, like this is the high handicap driver, like the, the, the max driver from ping from TaylorMade, the, the standard model from PXG the the max model from Callaway, you fit that properly to any player. I don't care what their swing speed is. You get them the right loft. You get them the right CG location. They are going to be able to hit that extremely well. They're going to hit it to the as far as they'll hit any other driver. And most importantly, they'll hit it more consistently. And that is what's most important because you give that to any player who what is it? every 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 freaking golfer. I don't care if you're a low handicap tour player to a 25 handicap going for your first lesson. What's the first thing they say to every teacher? I just want to be more consistent. What the hell does that freaking mean? I just want to be more consistent. Well, here's your opportunity. Get fit for the right equipment that's going to work for you and you will be more consistent, period. And that's, that's, it's, just, it's just that simple. And I don't care if you're a tour player or a high handicap golfer, you get fit into the, the right equipment whether it be the, an LS model or a, a higher MOI driver, you're going to see results. There we go. I love it. All right. So before we get to, we're, we're definitely going to get to the robot insights on the Costco Kirkland signature driver, because I know everybody wants to hear us talk about that. Uh, but before we do, I want to let you know that you should join Inside Golf. I said it. So golf.com has a membership program. It's called Inside Golf. We've talked about it the last couple of weeks. 
40 bucks gets you $140 in benefits. But look, I'm going to be honest with you. The benefits are cool. You're going to get some, you're going to get some cool stuff. I think you get, I think you get a dozen tricks on balls. You get 20 bucks towards uh, a purchase at fairway jockey. You get a subscription to the mag, but the real reason that why you want to join inside golf, RB, there's two things. One of them, Arby's mentioned, you get access to the golf magazine archives. I've been digging through those here recently. Holy They're dope. Smokes. They are so cool. Go back to like the 70s and 80s, man. Just it's awesome. You can flip through and you see the old ads. You see, uh, I think even they've started bringing back some of the old instruction tips. I, I think I saw one recently, uh, a Sevy tip on putting. It's just cool. It's cool to see that stuff. It's cool to see where gear was. Um, that alone, getting access to that extensive archive is totally worth 40 bucks. The other reason why you need to join is because we are starting a new inside golf program this year where you're going to get a chance to do these bucket list golf experiences. And the first one we're doing is incredibly awesome. It's going to be three days and two nights at Pinehurst, two weeks before the U.S. Open. You're going to get a chance to play golf, get a chance to hang out with golf.com editors, and get to see number two. I mean, literally right before they play a major championship on it. And we've talked about it. I mean, you're not going to get chances like this, if ever. So make sure you sign up for Inside Golf. Go to golf.com. It's really easy to sign up. 40 bucks. Join this, this trip. Hopefully, RB and I are going to both be on it. If not, maybe one of us will be in attendance there so we can we can talk some gear with those of you that are gearheads. But anyway, go check it out. Golf.com. Inside Golf membership. Fuck a list golf trip to Pinehurst two weeks before the US Open. Do it. All right. So, can I vote for just raising that membership up 10 bucks <laughs> a piece and then all four of us go? Could we all just do that, man? I, yeah, can we just hey, it's it's 50 bucks for can, the membership. What if we just all, all get golf.com inside golf memberships and just go? We'll just I don't I don't know what it, I don't know what the cost is, man. Let's just let's just pay. I mean, I'm down. Let's just that? let's just do it. Let's just yeah. do a fully equipped trip there. Let's just do the podcast from there. Yeah. There's a real reason to go. We can hang out at Golf Pride. There we go. Yeah, sure. I like that, Chris. We we have we haven't done it. We haven't done a proper trip if ever. So, I feel like it's a good time to do that. Um all right. If you want us to do a trip, reach out to us on social media. If we get enough people, we'll freaking do it. Yeah, we, we will. I'm gonna threaten. Sure. I'm gonna threaten us. to threaten everybody. If you if you do want it. to do a fully yeah, if you want to do a fully equipped trip, we could we could sure as hell do that. The four of us leading a trip, what could go wrong? Oh hey, uh, let me put my vote in. Uh, the Coachella lineup just came out, so I'm gonna be in the desert the end of April. So if we want to tie a golf trip. Uh, who's the headliner? That, who's the headliner? Uh. Doja Cat is uh, Tyler, the creator. I just want to go to Coachella with Gene. Like, I think that's probably oh, my bucket so list trip. That's There's our trip right trip. there. There's no golf. <laughs> Can we so do fully fun. equipped from Coachella? <laughs> Hell yeah, man. What are what are those strange people doing over there with microphones? <laughs> yeah, on? yeah, yeah. We're talking about golf clubs. Come join us. <laughs> they're they're going to be in a good, they're going to be in a good mood anyway. They won't care what we're talking about. Oh, uh, Lana Del Rey is the third. Yes. Oh, so, nice. Anyways, Ty, yeah. you know what? All, you know what's really funny? Tyler, Tyler, the creator, has a brand called Golf. There you go. Oh, there's our tie-in, folks. Yeah. There's our tie-in. Yeah, Someone get us a Tyler, tie-in. the creator, golf sponsorship, and we're there. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we can get him on the pod. 
That'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Silence. Perfect. Uh, all right. Perfect. So perfect segue into talking about Costco's Kirkland Signature Driver. Uh, about a month ago, we ran a story on golf.com where we looked at, thanks to Gene's robot, we were able to test the irons and see how they stacked up against all the 2024 offerings. And with the new driver coming out, we figured, why the hell not? Let's do it. Golf Laboratory Swing Robot took rips with the new Kirkland Signature driver at 95 miles an hour. We tested center uh, three quarters heel, three quarters toe, and we have some results. What I mean, what do you think, guys? Have you have, okay? First off, is it have, who's read the story? Did anybody look, did anybody look at the results? Gene Gene sent me the results. I was trying to I was trying to keep. Okay, RB seen it. Chris, have you seen it? Have not. Okay, good. That's what I want. I want a little. I want a little blind, little blind test here. What do you think? How do you if you, if you were gonna like place this driver? Do you think it'd finish like middle of the pack, bottom of the pack? What where, where, where are you thinking performance wise? I mean, if I can have a uh, just logic based opinion on this driver's this driver's just under two hundred bucks by penny. God, <laughs> as much as I don't want to say it, based upon how the irons were as you put it, kind of the cheeseburger right in the middle, yeah. not a world beater, mm -hmm. but also not, not bottom of the pack. I'm going to say it's probably similar okay. performance I like characteristics. I, like I just, I, I love, I love that you don't know. Cause then that, that's a perfect segue into the results. So as Gene would say, drumroll, please. If you tell me this thing is a world beater, I just, <laughs> I quit and I'm leaving now. Oh, that's man. all there is to it. So it's actually very interesting because this driver matches up almost perfectly with how the irons performed. So it has, it does a lot of good things really well. So if you don't know, and I'm, I'm sure if you're listening to this fair podcast, you do know this driver only comes in one loft, 10 and a half degrees. It's got, it's got a four way loft sleeve that even goes into a draw setting at, at 11 and a half, but it, it does a lot of good things for somebody who, you know, again, 95 miles an hour, we're talking very average swing speed here. If you're somebody who struggles to get the ball airborne with the driver, this, this is actually a really good driver. So 10 and a half degree head was launching. And this is, this is taking an average of, of like center toe heel, 12.4 degree launch for a 10 and a half degree head. That, if you compare it to the uh, roughly like 40 plus drivers that we tested, and that's that's all offs ranging from eight to 12 degrees, only six drivers recorded a higher launch angle than, than Costco's at 12.4. And four of those were 12 degree heads. So we're looking here at a, a very high launching driver. And oh, by the way, not only is it launching at 12.4, but it's at a sub- 3000 RPM spin rate at 95 miles an hour. So just under 3000. So high launch, relatively low spin at 95, looking pretty good here. And those numbers match up almost identical with a lot of the 10.5. And I, we just talked about, do we really categorize, but I, I'm going to categorize here. Those kind of max forgiveness models had very similar launch and spin numbers. So it's it's matching up with a lot of the blue bloods here. <sighs> Don't worry, we're gonna There's, we're gonna keep going. 
You can you can. There is sign, a data but... point. I'm not. I know. I'm gonna like. I'll segue into the next data point. <laughs> um, but this is where I think it's it's it is fascinating to see what center is versus other parts around the head, because yes. to your point, being able to launch it high and not spin it as much is is one thing, but for players that are looking for performance all around and that word I used earlier, which is consistency. This is where we would see from the Kirkland drivers. You've seen it. It's, it's not as wide heel to toe and it's a little bit deeper. It's, you know, it kind of fits. I would say like it is the, it is the hamburger looking of drivers. It is the, it would be like the core model of any OEM. Yeah. Um, yep. It is, it is the Kirkland hot dog of, of the, of the driver. Chris category. is starting to sweat a little bit over there. Cause he's, he's, but not quite once sure you start going. to see no, stop the RB, data stop RB. Don't, around the rest, don't sweat, let him sweat. <laughs> <laughs> this is where it gets very interesting. I will, I will turn it back over to you. Let them sweat. All right. Well, so we. I'm over here just <laughs> ready to break things and throw things and go, damn it, I'm going to be playing a Kirkland driver this year. That's I what I wanted him to say. Uh, all right. So we go from watch and spin, and we start to look at the numbers that everybody focuses on, and, and that's that's the ball speed. So if you want to look at uh, – because sure, what the hell? Let's look at that. What, what's the center number here? So at 95 miles an hour, the the Costco driver produced a ball speed of 137.5 miles an hour. So if you want to compare that, and I'm comparing it to other 10.5 degree heads, only two drivers out of the the crop of 10.5s recorded a lower center strike ball speed. And, and one of those deltas, my friends, was within the noise. So it, it's, it may really be, you know, right on, right on with it. So it could just be one. So you look at that and you're like, man, all right, cool. So it, it's, it's got a great launch, got good spin characteristics, but it's slow. It's, it's, it's slow, but it's not that slow. If you, if you go and you start looking at the other drivers, and uh, again, just 10.5s here that we're taking a look at for, for this particular test, it's probably about 10 yards behind the fastest driver that we saw in a head-to-head -head test. But if you start looking at the rest of the pack, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of like 0.3 to 2.5. So maybe about like six yards difference. And if you're talking about a driver that's 199.99, I mean, six yards, probably not that big of a deal. So, yeah, I would say there's a reason yeah. for this from an engineering perspective. Yeah, is yes. that get into that? They are, they're going to sell a lot of drivers to a lot of regular golfers, and the same reason that OEMs used to sell 350 tip shafts versus 335 for durability perspectives, not for torque, not for aftermarket or anything like that. A larger diameter meant that there would be potentially less breakage. This was most likely built into the driver and engineered into this driver from the manufacturer they worked with for durability. And because they know players are going to miss it more around the face. Whereas the OEMs are focused so much more on performance and maximizing technology. So just, yeah. just one of those things to keep in mind. And I, I do want to mention that because I think it is, yes, the robot shows and proves that it is a slower driver by whatever, whatever the number was. Um, but to say that there's a reason for it is because of that durability factor 
So that's probably why. But it doesn't again. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that it, it is. It does you get what you pay for. Category. You get what you pay what for. You pay and for. this is. And I tweeted this out when we, when you tweeted the, when you posted the, or I X, I Xed out. I don't freaking know. I don't, who cares what it's called. Um, but <laughs> zexed it out. I zexed it out. <laughs> I don't even the, know. What do they call it? When, oh. when, um, when we got the numbers and you posted the article and I had shared it, I said like, this is where OEMs have a material and technological advantage versus company like versus something like this 100 and that 100%. is that is not to be like you know looked over because yeah. they're creating multiple models they're maximizing technology versus the idea of we want to fit a lot of people and we want it to be durable that's probably like the top of the pyramid for their goals whereas the goals from every other oem is like we want to freaking maximize ball speed we want to maximize distance we want to lower spin and we want to make it really good because if someone breaks one, guess what? We'll replace it. Plain and simple. Okay. So that's set. That's center ball speed. Now we get to the all important one. And this is where, this is where Chris can start to take a huge sigh of relief because the off speed numbers can't get friends. <laughs> can't good. All speed numbers are not good. They're, Particularly on a, on, and this is where it's this, some people are going to start to groan because the those three quarter toe strikes, whoo boy, they were not good. So three quarter toe strikes saw a carry distance drop off in relation to to the to the center strikes, fifteen yards. Okay, putting putting that number again into perspective, so that you know how bad that is. Only one driver we tested had a larger delta across all offs. This is not just 10.5 now. Across all offs we tested. And that was an eight-degree head with low launch and low spin characteristics that generally would wow. not perform well. So this this was a this driver was, yeah, it bombed, bombed out bad on on toe strikes. So if you're and I'm a toe striker, yeah. so we're safe. Well, not you, going you in the bag. Lot, you and a lot not of going people, in the bag. You and a lot of people like that's that's a very common mishit location for a lot of golfers out there. It, it, this, so that it really performed poorly on on toe, and we're not even talking like like high toe here. We're just talking like out three quarters out towards the toe. That's it. Um, Gene, when you see strike, when you see robot when you yeah. see that in person, are you like? Do you see that? Like that's that that's a number no. that like you can see. It doesn't it doesn't take no. a lot to tell you. You're like, wow, that that probably wasn't very good. No, you really can't because what's interesting is, and I, and I've learned this. Unless you're on an elevated tee box looking down, after about 200 yards, it really becomes difficult to discern anything less than about 25 yards and everything just visually starts. I mean, if a ball has the interesting thing is these balls had similar trajectories. So it, it simply was a factor of lower ball speed. Um, and, uh, um, and interestingly enough, um, the spin rates went up on toe and heel shots. Um, so there's something about the geometry and the design, not a lot, but a little bit, but with lower ball speed created this drop off effect in, in distance. Um, but the, 
the launch angles were virtually identical. So, you know, the way the balls went out looked very similar. It wasn't until you looked at the data that you realized, wow, that was 15 yard drop off on toe hits. So yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, that's the beauty of, you know, repeatable data is it, it's hard even for tour players to know when they hit a ball on the toe, you know, was that their swing? Was that the club? You know, cause they don't want to repeat that too often. And the beauty of what I do is I can just do that all day long and nobody cares and I can look at it and then go, wow, you know, there's, there's, um, there's a significant drop off on toe and I will throw it back to you, J wall for heels. Yeah. Heels were not as bad as toe, but, but still not great. So on three quarter heel strikes, the Delta was, was roughly 10.5 yards. And that number is, is once again, near the bottom of the pack. And, and that was just trying to narrow it down to, to, 10.5 degree heads with similar max forgiveness properties. So on, on, you know, if you're looking for the good stuff, this driver does great in the launch department, great in the spin department, relatively good numbers. If you're consistent, if you're somebody who's relatively consistent with the contact, but if you're somebody who's not consistent with the contact, um, again, I said it before you, you get what you pay for. It's, it's, it's a, you know, sub $200 driver. Um, it's, it's going to do the job. It's not for, it's not for the, I, I'm, I don't want to put it in, it put it in a box, but I don't think this driver is for, is for the gearhead. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think that there's anything wrong if you want to go out and buy one, if, assuming you could find one and it's uh, once again, sold out. I think they did. RB didn't think they released some, they had some fresh inventory for drivers and irons and it's, it looks like it's sold out again. Yeah. This, uh, this past week irons and driver went back on sale. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so that was, I was kind of sh- surprised to see that. I mean, I wasn't necessarily a crazy shock, but I knew I had a feeling it was going to, they were going to be able to restock it. Um, yeah. but yeah, I think again, it's still going to be one of those things that's hard to find. So, but from a value perspective for 199 for a new club, it's it still offers very good value. And I think that's the one thing we 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 can't overlook. For sure. Yep, exactly. So and, yeah, and, you get what you pay for. Yeah, and I was gonna say too, in all fairness to the driver, it it ran up against the murderer's row of your the that's driver selection. So you know, we're we're You're comparing it against these <laughs> You're we're comparing the it against these 10K, Sorry. Sorry, 10K models that that are just, you know, are killing it. And, you know, we'll get into these numbers later, but we're seeing drop off in distance on eight points off the center that are just amazing for multiple manufacturers. And they all have just stellar products this year. So in, in years past, it probably would have been that cheeseburger, but this year, you know, it slipped down a little bit just because there are so many exceptional offerings. So, you know, if, if you're new to the game, if you're price conscious, if you're, um, if you're, you know, just not someone who's sure, you know, that they want to be spending a lot of money on equipment or you don't know it's how long you're sticking with the game. It's a great man. Driver. It is a, it is a really, yeah. really good yeah. driver. It is so, a really good you driver. know, there's definitely segments in the marketplace that should definitely 
you know, take a look at it. Yep. Yeah. And for, for that price, definitely. If you're new, if I can, if I can offer a, a a little something from the, uh, the, the fitters perspective. Okay. So with the amount of money that you're saving with the irons, just come see us at true spec and get fit for (laughs) one of these amazing new drivers that's coming out. There we go. You're going to, you're going to save a pile of cash with the irons. So just come see us and get a good driver in the bag. By the way, I, I, uh, I offered you up to anybody who wants to to get fit. I said, you, maybe they could just pay to have you fly out and, and fit them. Happy to do it. Yeah. Happy to do it. I know you are. Uh, I mean, to, to maintain, (laughs) we did to your horn really hard last week, Chris. I'm just going to say. Don't tell him that because now he's, he's going to go back and, and he's going to get an inflated ego for the next episode. Don't do that. It's too late. It's already inflated. Come on. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this one. I'm tired. We're doing a late night one. I didn't even mention that. But Fully Equipped After Dark, dark wasn't really Fully Equipped After Dark. It was. This was a really good pod. So I'm glad we were able to knock it out. We do have an interview this week. It is a good one. It is with Cobra's VP of R&D, Tom Olsofsky. T.O. has been on the pod before. What? Awesome guy. Gene, Gene wants to say something. And, an, and T.O. is an amateur historian as well. Whenever I get with him, we don't talk golf. We go down into like Roman ruins and the history of drinking and what color carrots are originally. He's really fascinated. To talk we talked sneakers at one point. I don't know if it was on the pod, but we were, we had a, when we were talking to him, we talked sneakers. Uh, we talked a lot. I just want Gene and, and T.O. to have a podcast. That one oh, would be a kick-ass was, pod. The, the, the history of drinking was wild. I mean, it was like, whoa. And I had just hiked Hadrian's Wall, and so we were going into the – and I didn't know he was so into history, and we finally had to reel it back after about 45 minutes and talk about golf again. But, yeah, he's Gosh. he's a great guy. Yeah, well, this this pod, this interview is not about history. It is about dark speed. Damn it. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I know Gene's very disappointed. Uh, but, title of yeah. Gene and Tio's pod is back in my day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Tio talks about dark speed. We we try to keep it away from the nuts and the bolts. And I, I think RB and I did a really good job with this one. Pat on the back for us. So enjoy the interview. One of our favorite guys, Cobra's VP of R&D, Tom Olsofsky. Tio, how are you? Yeah, great to hear, be here and have some fun talking about product. Yeah. So how long have you been at Cobra? Uh, it'll be 10 years. Okay. Yeah. So this 50th anniversary right. for Cobra, mm-hmm. how much has Cobra changed in the, the decade that you've been here since when you first started? You know, it's been a lot of change for us and a lot of growth and a lot of good, exciting products. You know, as we make products, anybody who's in this business is... You love all your products because you spend a lot of time and energy, and they're all good. But you always keep making them better. So, um, you know, when, when I got here, um, you know, we had a lot of colors in our club. So that was one thing that changed quite a bit. Uh, and as we've matured as a as a brand, as a group, uh, I feel like our performance has gotten a lot better. Um, we've reached a lot more golfers for sure, and uh, we're putting a lot more technology into products. You know, when when I got here, we were putting some, but you know, we've had to kind of amp that up a little bit. And I think the industry in general, but we've always been an innovative brand. So we've always been on the cutting edge of new technologies, new products, uh, whether it's colors and looks or, you know, technologies that drive the ball further or play better, more inertia, whatever it is. 
Um, all those things have gotten better, uh, but the industry is challenging, you know, so it, we feel excited about the future, um, but it's gotten a lot better. We feel like we're a more cohesive team than, you know, when I started here, uh, and we have good, I don't want to call them recipes, but essentially we have good, um, a good flow of how we design and develop products. You know, one of the things I talked about earlier is we, we, we figured out a better system for our team to be uh, very effective and efficient, even though we've had the battle through COVID and a remodel and, you know, we're set up where our, our engineers can work from home and be very efficient with their, their output and still put out great products. So a lot of that has changed. A lot of it's been dealing with the world and, and the changes in business. So you all are on a, a yearly cadence for product and always makes me wonder as, as a guy who's right there at the front of the ship kind of steering things, how, how difficult is it to, to design a product that is markedly better than the previous from year to year? And it, I think a lot of people don't realize this and I, and I would love to have you t- talk about it. When people see a product, like that product, you didn't just come up with it in, in 12 months. Like that's typically been years. I've even heard some of the guys here while we've been at Cobra, five, seven years in the making. Yeah. Some of the technologies, you know, we have uh, my team, which is research and development, and then we have an innovation team who's looking way out in in advance on technology. So um, we spend a lot of time and energy, what I would call our commercial process. uh, We work closely with Jose Miraflor and his team on the product marketing side. Uh, We'll put together a plan uh, about two years in advance. And that plan will be we're going to use certain technologies, we're going to target certain players, certain uh, price categories, and then we go and work through those samples, making designs and then tooling and testing and all that. Uh, but we start two years in advance. And I would say the last probably six, in some cases, six to nine months, we're in a mode of where we're hands-off from things that we can change. Uh, we're into production. So uh, the tooling is all done. The processes are all qualified. We're actually just running parts and then shipping and assembly and all those processes. So the last six to nine months, I, I call it sort of the, the railroad track process. We're putting stuff on the railroad track and the, and the, and the cars are going to a certain place and we can't really turn. <laughs> We've got to get everything lined up. So my team uh, you know, has to really have everything done even six to nine months in advance of when it shows up in a store. And then we're designing two years in advance, and our innovation team is working from two to four or even five years in advance on technologies. Um, Sometimes the more complex technologies take a lot longer, so you don't always know if they're going to work. So that's a a bit of a a challenging time for them as well, but they're a good team, and they're giving us lots over the years. So, But that's the whole process, and I think it's pretty similar uh, at most club manufacturers. So the product that's been coming down the pipeline is Dark Speed. Dark speed. Dark speed. So, okay, the name, first off, like what people are going to see it and they're going to wonder like what the heck is is dark speed? What's your answer for them? Well, you know, part of it is when we look at the concepts of these clubs, they're really a lot of aerodynamics input. And when you think about aerodynamics, what is your vision? What's your inspiration? It's aircraft usually. So you look at some of these things and when you look at uh, military aircraft and dark programs. You know, there's some linkage there of, hey, you're working on this thing in the dark and nobody knows about it, and then all of a sudden you come out with it. Um, we felt very good about speed. We've used speed for a long time uh, at Cobra, and that's been a thing that every golfer wants, more speed from their golf clubs except their putters. And so, you know, you go in and, and you combine those that feeling of this aerodynamics, almost a skunk works, you know, part of it working with, uh, long drive uh, hitters like Kyle, you know, for a long time. These designs, uh, some of the concepts for aerodynamics are actually almost five years to six years old. 
So that's where the, the, the whole feeling of dark speed came out. The other thing we've sensed uh, as a trend in the industry, and this is feedback from fitters and golfers and retailers, is a little bit more of a, I would say, more of a more classical look, a less, less loud of a design, if you will, um, less colorful, more serious. You know, for us at Cobra, I think that was a good change to kind of combine all that together with this deep research process and speed, and then marry that with the, the look and fit and finish. When you talk about the, the development and testing, because aerodynamics are, such, are something that can be modeled but also brought into the real world for testing, do you, you, do you use both processes? And how does it vary between going from the, the, like the, again, the modeling element of it to taking it into the real world and like whether it be utilizing 3D printing to create a prototype just for aerodynamic testing, how, how does that work and how does that vary between, like do you notice like big jumps between those two or is it, are, are the models so good now and then the, the, the printed version, that physical thing becomes more of just tweaking it for the player and those like little last kind of minute details? Yeah, so that's a good question, Ryan. My, my partner crime is Mike Yagley, who many people know in the industry. Uh, but Mike was an aerodynamicist, uh, aerodynamic engineer, and worked at Boeing for a number of years. So he's our expert in aerodynamics. And so uh, he would say aer aerodynamics is not trivial, nor is it linear. So uh, those are some challenges. So what you do is you go in and do some modeling and some analysis. Uh, and we've done that over the years with software. And you run these packages. And what you, you try and estimate is, first of all, a couple things. One is impact position is one orientation of the club head. But there is a path that the club head goes through that's not the same as impact orientation. So any drag you can reduce anywhere on that downswing path is valuable. So a lot of the things we do that we don't spend a lot of time talking about is all those other things that are in the downswing. Uh, as we talked a little bit earlier about the, the Dunning-Kruger effect is at some point it seems really simple, but it's very complicated. So uh, you make some changes, you study them. Sometimes they'll be better, sometimes they'll be worse. And then we go make models. You know, we'll make parts. We'll make uh, 3D prototypes. Um, you know, we, in the industry now, we can do 3D printed titanium parts. So uh, a few years back, Mike was actually trying to, hey, we can make a foam part, put it in the robot, and see what happens, and hit a foam ball with it. And those break pretty quickly. You know, so you move beyond that. But you're trying to estimate little surface features and what their effects are and trying to add up all these little effects into a bigger effect. So it's a pretty long process. Uh, and part of that was, was with Kyle a few years ago where we had a shape and we prototyped that shape and worked with him and said, oh, this is really fast and we're seeing more speed. Okay, good. That's a shape to base it on. And we've been slowly using that shape along the way the last few years with uh, originally an, an LTD LS product that we used for Kyle and then into certainly Aerojet and now in dark speed. So we keep getting better at it every time, but you learn along the way. The other trade-offs that come into play are really those structural, mechanical, uh, CT, COR kind of conversations because everything you do in the shape affects all those other things. So then it's about how does it play with this aerodynamic structure? Do we got to adjust something else? Uh, how do we adjust the, the face thickness to keep our CTs you know, at our maximum limits, even though our edges are more rounded? Um, so our structural team is like, hey, hey, rounded edges, bad for CT. Okay, so there's a trade-off. And, and almost everything we do in design is some kind of trade-off. Trade-off to, it makes the CG go higher when you have a more rounded crown. So how do we get it back low? So that's going back into the structures area and, and the CAD area to then 
kind of like get one thing and then make the other thing better that you lost when you made that first thing better. So it's a very iterative process back and forth, and there's a number of things we do, as you just brought up, is we make parts, we test them, we, we break them, because then durability is also a concern. Does the thing hold up? Um, and you go back and forth, and that's why it takes us two years, really, to get it to market um, when we're trying to advance the technology. You know, if we were doing the same shape every year, we could go a lot faster, you know, as a team, but we're trying to push boundaries and innovate at Cobra Golf. I asked, <clears throat> I asked that question because it makes me, it made me think of like, when I think of like F1, I know Ricky was just at the, at the Netflix cup thing. So mm-hmm. obviously people are going to be listening to this later, but you probably saw it. Uh, but when they do the F1 cars, like they have millions and millions of dollars to model and do all of these things. And then when they first get those cars on the tracks, they still spray paint on the side and like watch the airflow, which right. I think is a fascinating element of like, you've got these big physical things in the world and you're bringing it down to this smaller level because in reality, I, like, imagine if it didn't have to hit a golf ball, like what does the most efficient club head look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about that earlier. The most efficient club head would be a wing. <laughs> but the wing has a very bad face for hitting golf balls and, and missing the center of the, the wing, you know. Um, so that's the trade-off is you're trying to make something very symmetrical like a wing. Uh, if you could make it longer span like a wing – uh, our friends in the USGA don't allow us to do that, so that's a limitation. Um, so all these are trade-offs that we go back and forth. And, and, and Mike has some good stories of Boeing. He says they do all that same thing at Boeing. And then they got to make the part, and they test it, and they measure it. And if it doesn't work, they got to adjust something. So you could model all you want. But at the end of the day, the, the challenge of modeling is, is one of, um, you know, the one thing that we look at all these is how fine a resolution can you get and how accurate is that resolution? So if you think about these very slight little curvatures, okay, if the pocket is a millimeter, a half a millimeter higher than the, the other pocket, how much drag is that? Well, that's a valid question, but the software doesn't have enough resolution to go through the swing and capture all of that little detail in that swing. Um, it just gets so intensive computing power-wise. So what you do is you take your best engineering guesses at, and then go test it. So I know that you are constantly looking back at previous driver designs, trying to glean insights from those, um, maybe things that have worked in the past that you, you might want to kind of go down that rabbit hole and, and see if it works for a new driver. And, and you mentioned F9, the learnings from F9. You could just speak to that. Like, what was it about that driver that you all kind of zeroed in on and, and saw whatever it was in that driver that you thought could work well with, with dark speed. Yeah. So one of the things that was interesting with F9, it was really the first, I think, marriage in the industry of a low back CG design with better aerodynamics. Now I won't say it's the best aerodynamic driver that's ever been made because there were some even prior to that, but this combination low back CG with aerodynamics had never really been done or touched upon. So we got excellent performance and and really good sales out of that product and, and great feedback. So uh, one of the things we did know right away was, though, that speedback design is actually an aerodynamic uh, challenge. You do get more drag when you have a surface that's sticking out of the back, typically in the downswing, not as much in the impact position, but in the downswing, because it's sort of a, you're pulling the head down basically sideways. And when you have that bump in the back there, it actually has to flow around that. It creates some drag. So one of the things that came out of that was some of the shapes you're seeing now is, hey, take the bump off, and we'd done that test back then and said, oh, the bump off is actually better aerodynamically than, than having the speed back 
there. So that was a, a learning early on that said, oh, it's better, but it's not quite as good as it could be, which led us into you know, some of these shapes that you're seeing now. So um, that's where you see designs. We know designs that have a large bump low and back aren't as good aerodynamically as a smooth surface that's raised off the ground. So that was one of the key learnings there. I think the other thing we learned uh, quite a bit is that um, you know, definitely CG position front and back. We had been doing that for a number of years, but we thought at that time that we could go more forward and low CG even than we did with speed back. And when you think about the player, typically, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier, is the player that will segment into low spin front CG performance, they don't need a low back CG, right? But other players may need a low back CG for their swing type. So in F9, we had sort of the dichotomy where the 9-degree head was a more forward CG than the 10.5. And that's the same thing we're learning now when you look at uh, Aerojets and now Dark Speeds, where Dark Speed LS is more forward than Dark Speed X. They're both really good for the player type that they fit, but they are different and they play different. And, and we see that all the time through ourselves with tour players and fitters and golfers. So you have a unique guinea pig at your disposal by the name of Kyle Berkshire. He's he's the the he's the king of long drive. I mean, you even said it. It's it's difficult to replicate the speed that he generates when you're trying to test on a robot or uh, air cannon. You know, it's it's difficult to get to those speeds. But I, I found this to be interesting because people would probably think with a guy like Kyle on staff that you're looking at you know face technologies. But with him, it's actually shaping changes which I found to be really fascinating, but it's one driver in particular that I, that I would love for you to, to discuss. It's this new eight degree dark speed LS. It's, you know, low loft, not, I mean, Kyle wouldn't use something that was, was eight degrees. He'd use a lot lower, but what is it, what is it about this design that, that sort of made you add this additional piece to the, to the LS lineup? So one of the things that we've known is with the Aerojet LS, we've had the fastest driver in the market aerodynamically in ball speed. And Kyle was testing a version of the dark speed in an Aerojet shape. And prior to that, he was testing the Aerojet in an LTD shape. So we've used him as a testing platform, so to speak. And so we are pushing the boundaries with him because he is at the boundary. He is at that frontier. And he wants maximum ball speed. He wants maximum uh, or minimum drag, maximum club speed at the same time. So there's always a trade-off with him uh, he still breaks a lot of faces, you know, but we're looking for this trade-off of high CT, some durability so they hold together through his competitions, but also maximize the speed. So uh, the new DarkSpeed 8.0 is even faster aerodynamically than the DarkSpeed LS 9.0 because it's a more aggressive shape, and you guys saw that uh, both in all, all three views of the profile, the face profile, the toe profile, and the adjust profile to really continue to push the boundaries of how much more aero can we get. Uh, we still believe there's a little bit left on the table that we're working on for the future, but Kyle has been our, our testing mule to do this. Um, and, and you know uh, Gene Parente well, I know you guys work with him, and you know, we asked Gene, Gene, can you build us a robot that swings it at 150 to 160 miles an hour? And he's like, uh, I don't think so. You know, And so um, that's our challenge is we can't do a lot of testing at those speeds. So is make prototypes and, and work with Kyle on that to, to measure things and get his feedback. Um, and, and people think long drive guys are just, you know, bash it and hope you get lucky, but there's a lot of flight trajectory management there. 
um, both directionally, uh, depending on the roll conditions, the weather conditions. Uh, Kyle has to be able to adjust given how he's playing. So, But we use him, and the, the 8-0 shape is much closer to the shape that he used last year um, because we wanted to get the fastest driver out there as we could, even though the 9-0 we think is going to fit more people, both by loft and, and a little bit of the shape, we think the 8-0 is going to fit uh, a smaller group just because the loft is stronger, but it's going to be faster. So we wanted to keep pushing the envelope, keep pushing the boundary. Um, we know that when golfers get to fitters and they're a player who's looking for lower spin, sometimes the 9-0 even cranked down isn't enough low spin. Uh, and typically with Kyle, he uses a 5.5 or a 6.0 head for his competition. But when he's playing a normal round, he uses a 7.5 or an 8.0. So this, is, this will be his play driver. Uh, but we're making him a 6.0 that will be the same shape as the 8.0. Uh, but again, the goal is how can we make the ball go farther? We know the market will, will be out there looking for it. We know there's a segment of players that, that want more speed and aren't afraid to go, hey, I, I can hit this 8-degree club. And I'm going to give it a try. And so a lot of it is a bit of a, a market testing process, an understanding of how, how much market is there out there for those golfers. But we want to be the leader, and we feel like we are the leader now. We're going to keep that lead uh, in aerodynamics, in club speed, in performance. Now, in another area of performance which I think is, is really unique this year with, with dark speed is the new Ferrywood. And there's a lot of, you know, you talk about, things that you don't see, right? Like there's so much technology packed into this Ferrywood. We were looking at it uh, from a parts perspective and from the outside, it looks, it look, it matches the rest of the line basically. Mm -hmm. But not only is the body of the, the Ferrywood titanium, but you've got adjustable weights and there's more tungsten on the, on the inside. How is that process bringing all of those components together into like a head and then into a head that is smaller although it technically weighs more than a driver, is that a more difficult engineering process or is it something where you, because you have a little bit of extra mass, say like 10, 10, 10 to 12 grams, is that, does that make it easier or does it make it more difficult? Yeah, it's a little bit of a packaging problem. You know, we basically took the same body size as our, our LS fairways and said, hey, let's convert it to titanium. So when you do that, you save just a ton of weight. So then the next question is, okay, what do you do with it? Um, we wanted to make a club that if we saw some of the ones in the market now, they had been sacrificing a little bit of low CG, a little bit of uh, inertia, because you don't have steel out there at the extremities. you got tie, which is lighter. So we wanted to make sure we had a, a very low CG design and also that extra weight in places where it's going to be the most beneficial. So in the design, we have uh, two 19-gram weights inside the head that aren't uh, changeable. And then we have three adjustable weights, two, two 12s, uh, two 13s and a, excuse me, two 12s and a three um, that give us all this benefit of great performance and adjustability and really low CG. That was the key we learned years ago with the LTD, original LTD Ferry Woods was very low CG is beneficial for lots of players. So uh, you get a low spin design. You get also a higher launch angle. One of the things we, we've learned over the years is uh, even though your CG could be forward, if it's lower, you still get a higher launch angle. And so this design definitely gives us higher launch, low spin, and more speed than any February wood we've ever made at Cobra Golf. Now, as far as we talked about the, like the separation of the, the, the 8 degree to the 9 degree and just the LS, but we, I mean, we saw some slides today that there is, there is more separation, I think, built into this line than there really ever has been. 
because what you what your team has just like done as far as research is concerned and all those different elements that fitting has gotten even more in depth whether it be someone walking in at a retail level or walking into a high-end club fitting facility like studio mm-hmm. how has that separation is it easier to separate product or is it more difficult when you're still trying to maintain technologies like aerodynamics and all those other elements? Well, it's always challenging and it's always trade-offs. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things we did hear from, from the fitters and our retail partners uh, was make the best LS for the LS players, make the best X for the X players, and make the best Max for the Max players. So you dig into what do those players need. You know, we keep hearing from the fitters is you can't make the Max too draw-biased. Those players need help with a slice. They need help getting the ball up in the air. So we have the two weight settings. Either that heel bias is much more draw bias than in the past models. And in the back weighting, it's much more forgiving and easier launching than the past model. So we spread that further apart. Same thing with the LS. We move the CG forward, but we now have a back weight setting because eventually when you move the CG forward enough, you run out of players that it fits. So now we put a back weight back in there by changing the power bridge and some other structural things to give us that flexibility of a wider CG range. And the same thing with the X. It's the best for the middle of market, very high forgiveness, but also a, now a front weight setting to give a little bit more speed and a little bit lower spin. So for the player that likes that size and forgiveness, now we can move the CG forward and give them a lot more distance. And I, like, an interesting element of that is if you look at the, like the, the Max model, your team, you have one of the fastest players on tour as far as ball speed is concerned, and everyone would imagine in their head, they would immediately think, oh, well, they must be playing like the LS model. Whereas, in fact, not only have you added for the retail line, I believe it is a nine degree into that model, but you have what you saw in the Aerojet, that model was used on tour. Like the like fitting is not just, there's no there's no cut and dry anymore. And so you've actually added options as far as lofts are concerned, even within those models, because it is beneficial to say, have a player that might have a lot of speed. I know I'm Canadian, so we used to see a lot of like hockey players Mm -hmm. that might be down on it, but they, they fade it. Right. So a low loft, a driver with a bit of draw bias is like a huge benefit to a segment where there might be not be a lot of products on the market that fit into that, right? Like it really is about creating options essentially, but also opening up more options for certain players with models that might not have had options before. Right. One of the things that we've seen a lot of work with on tour, some players, they have high speed, but a draw bias driver helps them. You know, it's hard to draw a driver at high speed. So that's one thing on tour they're looking for. We've seen a lot of players, whether it's hockey players or we hear from some of the guys, um, some of the fitters, like uh, the guys at Miles of Golf up in Michigan, they're getting young players come to them that are beginner golfers that used to play basketball or football. Uh, and, and they're tall and they're big and they're strong and they're athletic and they swing hard. And so, you know, you need some things for these players that even our, our typical, I guess, classical rule of thumb is, oh, LS is all for good players. It's like, no, we've seen the market through fitting fit a lot of these players into CGs that are better for them. Sometimes it's forward, sometimes it's back. And as we talked about earlier, it's complicated. We'd love for it to be super simple, but it's not because it's individuals and how they swing. So that's why it's so great to, to solve these through fitting individually. Uh, the industry has tried for many years to classify and say, oh, you need this, you need this, you need that. But in reality, I've seen many times where you walk up in a, in a fitting scenario and it doesn't work. So what do we do next? 
well, that rule of thumb didn't work for you, so let's try something else. So the options that we provide are really beneficial for this. I think the fitting professionals in the marketplace have gotten much better over the years because we have knowledge, we have launch monitors, we have sharing of knowledge. So uh, we're learning that, hey, when you have a fast transition tempo player, but he's, he's having problems getting up in the air, so you get him a draw bias or a back CG driver with a stiffer butt flex in the shaft, and all this is much better than in the old days where they would, oh, go, go ahead, a, here, if you slice, take a regular shaft. Well, we know that an athlete with a fast transition, regular shaft actually makes it worse. So we're learning. I, I think the industry is getting better every year. And we tell people, uh, I tell people I've had for years, I said, I've always felt and, and seen that the better player doesn't need fitting as much as the average player. The average player is going to get to a solution much quicker and usually a bigger help by knowing what they need. The better player is already good. He's already figured most of it out. So his gains are going to be smaller and more incremental. But there's a lot of interest, and, and those are the ones that typically show up. But the average one is where we can see the biggest benefits because they don't know. And they either found something or bought something, but they really don't have a clue. And we've seen a lot of gains that way with average players through fitting more so than better players. I want to go back to Dunning-Kruger for a second. Something that I think a lot of golfers have high confidence and competence in, at least they, they think they do. Maybe it's a, a false confidence is MOI. Mm -hmm. We were talking about this earlier. I, I found this fascinating. I think a lot of golfers hear the word MOI and they're like, well, that MOI is forgiveness. And forgiveness means that wherever I hit it all over the face, that the ball is going to have gear effect. It's going to be forgiving. So I'm not going to, I'm going to retain ball speed, but it's going to have the gear effect and come back towards center. And we, Looked at some cool slides there talking about all the weight positions and how you're able to, by moving those weights around, you're able to get the ball to, whether if you're a guy who doesn't like to see, I'm a lefty, so it's like I've got to pretend like I'm a righty for a second. <laughs> you, you don't like to see left. Mm -hmm. You want it to just go right. Mm -hmm. But but I, I just want you to talk a little bit about MOI and, and the fact that, it you know, maybe it doesn't mean exactly what golfers think that it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the challenge is, it, I think it's good for a number of things. One is, certainly the head rotates less, and golfers can sense that. And when they hit a shot, they say, oh, that rotate less, it's, it feels more forgiving, which in that sense, from the impact, it feels better to them. Um, the challenge then is, where does the ball go? And we've seen in some cases where if the head rotates less, you get less gear effect, and sometimes you don't even get any gear effect. So that's the hard part for golfers. They don't they don't have the data or understanding to say, I missed it exactly here and it did this. Is that good or bad? Right? They're going off of that gut feel of, hey, it feels more stable because I didn't, I didn't see that rotation. Um, but the challenge of where the ball goes is, is, is big. And so we've seen with high MOI designs like our Max and like other products is uh, they're more consistent in distance. So their ellipse is kind of long and, and wide, but it's wide. It's not tight. We've seen in some designs, some of the front CG designs is actually a little more spread distance-wise, but tighter, you know, left to right, because they tend to have the CG in a better spot and they get more correction. So that's one of the trade-offs. Now, we think, again, we do build designs that have IMI because it does help ball retention. But we're also designing face radii to work with those weight positions and the CG to give the best corrective. Uh, and that's something that's still a trade-off. You still have to have the trade-off of um, if I make a bigger face, sometimes I get more speed, but then I get more drag. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And then I, but I get, could get more corrective, but then it depends on where my CG is. It depends on where I hit it. And it depends. One of the challenges I think has always been, uh, and, and you've seen this with some of the, maybe the USGA studies is if I have a miss hit, typically as a golfer, I have, I have three things going wrong. One is my, my face angle. It could be off. My location could be off and my angle of attack could be off. All those could be off. So we don't know which one of those is the most noticeable to golfers to help them fix it. The robot is really good because we can constrain all those. And so, and you know from robot testing, you constrain it to a certain angle. Okay, you're gonna get a result. You open the face, you're gonna get a different result. Um, so that's the one thing about MI, it's hard to explain. As we talked about the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, is it's complicated, right? It's not it as is. simple as we think. Now, everyone wants it to be simple, MOI's forgiveness is a very simple statement. The detail is how is it forgiving and what is it giving me? Uh, we've had lots of players feedback from the market and, and fitters say, wow, I hit that Aerojet LS and it was really forgiving. And we know that on a robot, when you have a toe hit, it'll correct back, right? Tour players like that. You know, that's what they're used to. Amateurs that are, that are seeing, hey, it's very forgiving. Now, that goes against the MOI number. <laughs> so that, that's why it's, I think it's a, it's a challenging topic to understand. We know that it's very simple to say, oh, MY is forgiveness. But in reality, it's much more complicated than that. So everybody always wonders, how do the tour pros impact, help shape the design of a club? And, and one of the things, um, was able to get some initial photos of the dark speed. And as we're recording this, this is the week of RSM. So, um, was all the positive comments on the look. And I know that's something that Ricky, Ricky Fowler played a role in. What, what was, what was his initial thoughts? Like what was he looking to see from, from dark speed that maybe he hadn't seen from previous drivers, but that sort of spoke to him because I know tour pros are big on how does a golf club look at mm -hmm. a dress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Rick, uh, we involve Rick on a lot of projects uh, all the way through the cycle of development for, for years in advance. So one of the things he was very keen on uh, was obviously a, a clean crown. I don't want to see decals around the back. I don't necessarily – he plays a driver without a crown decal as well. I want a clean look. So the clean look was something he had been asking us for a number of years. In the past, we had made uh, sub-versions that you see on the USGS version B or version 2 that don't have the crown decals and things like that. So he wanted a really clean design, something he had been asking for. And you know, when we showed him this, he was like, this is exactly what I want. Um, from a shaping standpoint, you know, he's working with both the 8.0 and the 9.0. And that was one of the questions we had originally on those two designs is, would the 8.0 be a little polarizing for some players? And so um, I think the jury's still out, but we know the performance is there. And so you know, we, we, uh, we kind of throw around some of these rules of thumb and one of the things over time is there's probably a third of players that the shape is the most important thing. And that, that's from, from tour experience. And a third of players, they don't care what the shape is. And, and we've seen these players over the years and going back to, um, you know, I, I think of Corey Pavin as one who played that old Cleveland BS. Now that's ancient times, but that was a weird looking club and he played it and he won the US Open with it. You know, so guys over the years have played different shapes. I work with a lot of players. Some would say, I, it's got to have this shape. And some would say, oh, I don't care what the shape is, just give me the performance. So we think that we think the, the mix is there where some players will care and some players won't care. Um, but we wanted to push the boundaries aerodynamically. The other trade off a little bit, you know, that, that we know is the 8.0 is more forward CG and lower loft than the 9.0. 
So that's going to limit a little bit of the player acceptability. Now we can my fly sleeve it to more loft, um, but that adds a little bit of uh, base angle, right? So sometimes that's not desired either. So a lot of times all these designs are experiments in the marketplace, both on tour and in the market. Um, we're also, you know, working with a number of other folks that have seen it. Gary has seen it. Um, Justin is working with it, the, both models uh, in these two weeks. Justin plays a little bit more loft, but we want them all to hit it and tell us what they think. Because this then guides us for the future. So um, it's it's still to be determined which ones they'll play. I know Rick started playing with the 8, which is great. We love that. Um, we'll hear some performance feedback and some shape feedback. And we're looking for those shapes. You know, Some of those shapes are moving into our 25 line already. But we'll be getting feedback on those based on what we learn. So it's a constant process of learning, getting experience, trying to see what works, what doesn't work. Um, and, and that's part of the fun of it. You don't always know where it's going to go. Uh, but we're trying to push it. We're trying to figure out, hey, how can we get this uh, performance higher and still make looks that people will will be happy with and and perform. So you, you talked about shaping and and growing and taking things that like you might not have applied before, you know. And I don't, I don't want to gloss over this by any means, but irons, which you guys have always done a great job with, um, there is a dark speed iron. It's definitely shaped for those who are curious. It's got a lot of game improvement technology, but it doesn't look as much from a, like a game improvement club, even from the address position. But another category that you guys are in, and you're really working on a lot of stuff, which we've seen today, is putters. And the way that I can think of getting a lot of questions about uh, MIM, metal injection molding, mm-hmm. and how there was like one set of irons that offered that, which was like a unique thing. Mm-hmm. And now you're using all of these processes, and this is what... I think it's, it's always part of like what we look at is there is this building process, whether it be aerodynamics, whether it be shaping. And so the new putters, which we've, again, we've had a chance to look at, is like not only are there shapes, is there technology, but you're incorporating the actual ability to manufacture with new technologies to create better products. And I think there's a really cool line that you guys have created with the putters. Yeah, we're very excited about those, Ryan. Thanks for that. You know, one of the things that we've done over the years at Cobra is innovate new processes new materials so you know when you look at the mim process you know we started that with wedges and moved it into tour irons and now in putters um if you think back to the time when we started in wedges we weren't even in the putter business <laughs> so you know that's one of the things that you say hey let's let's try this with putters we see a lot of benefit to that we had a good launch uh, with putters a few years ago but we had some challenges supply chain wise and you know wanted to really come back strong at that we feel like there's some growth for cobra there um, so the putters are exciting. You know, we've worked with Rick and a number of other players. Um, we know fit, finish, look is really important. That premium look that we've developed uh, in the new lineup is exciting, and part of that is from the MIM process. But we're using 3D-printed nylons. We're using new PBAX materials in the inserts on the Vintage Series. Uh, all of that is to make a much more robust line and give golfers the ability to putt better, you know. Uh, from no, no different than the fitting side of it, the number of options. Um, but one of the things that we looked at quite a bit is the, the putter industry over the years has gotten really a premium look, a premium cosmetic, you know, and that's really movement from a lot of folks into machining, you know, with machining is very premium, but machining is very expensive and very challenging to do. So we are continuing looking at how can we do this with a better process, a more modern process, uh, and work with our vendors to get to this level. And so when you look at the fit and the finish of those putters, you're like, wow, these look like they're machined, but they're actually not. So that's uh, part of it that makes it 
much better for us to be a little bit more cost effective than machining, but provide better performance. You know, the, the challenge of a machined, uh, I would call it a, you know, traditional blade style heel toe putter is that shape's been the same forever. So you're not seeing a lot of benefits there, but when you could put in some 3D printed technologies into that to spread the weight out, your performance is going to go up. So a lot of that is, you know, there's, it's a combination of design, looks, fit, feel, finish, performance. All that together are always trade-offs we're working on. Uh, and a lot of that was working with Rick you know, early on. You know, we did some 3D printed putters with Rick and some different shapes. All these shapes are brand new. Um, not all of them. Almost all of them are brand new, especially the bigger ones, to refine them even more. And also, when you design for MIM, it's different than design for casting. So you have to take everything into account. And, and another part of that, when we talk about the fitting element, so much about CG from drivers, what people think they should use or what like actually works for them, translates directly to putters just at a slower speed, right? Like we're looking at a lot of the putters now and that further back center gravity might work for a couple players, but in reality, being able to offer shapes utilizing 3D printing so they look bigger, they, look, they offer the alignment, but in reality, they actually offer something where you get forgiveness, but you get a head that is designed more so for specific stroke types, which before would not be available as much in that style of head versus the traditional blade style putter. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit earlier, that conversation about MOI. is like, okay, you can get more MOI by putting weight in the back of the putter, but for players with a quick transition, that putter comes back and is open and they usually miss. So, you know, you got to fit to the stroke type, and so that's why we have all these options. We purposely wanted to incorporate weights into all these putters because we know that's a key factor in both fitting and design. And we wanted to make some designs with some more forgiveness, but a front way to design to help that stroke type. Um, so it's a very wide line. Uh, and the challenge of putters is you sort of have to do a wide line because there's a lot of needs. Um, but we think these are going to be work very well. And, and you'll get a chance to putt with them a little bit here shortly. Um, so I think it'll be fun to get up there. I think when we show people things like putt with this putter is front weight and this one's back weight. Like, oh, now I know what that feels like. Yeah. No different than when movable weights and drivers came out. Everybody, everybody didn't know except for people on the inside who tested them. Now you know right away, oh, that feels like this, that feels, and I like this or I like that. Um, so that's really where the benefit, I think, of adding a weighting system, uh, redefining these, and in bringing back that knowledge of, for some players, front weighting is better than back weighting. It's just a stroke type. Yeah. Well, that's, that's cool. I mean, cover the whole line. I appreciate your insight. It's, uh, it's always great to talk to you. And uh, thanks for your time, Tom. Yeah, guys, it's great to talk with you, and uh, let's go hit some product. And thanks again to T.O. for the time. That'll do it for episode 224, Fully Equipped. Next week's going to be a good interview. I can promise you that one. I've teased it in the last few weeks. So be on the lookout. Thanks as all for listening.